Loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I welcome Kathy Zoitlin. For the past 40 years, she's made films that explore consciousness and encourage progressive change. Past projects include Lost Love and the documentary Just One Step, The Great Peace March, the story of a nine-month cross-country trek for global nuclear disarmament. A wife, mother, and craniosacral biodynamic healer, Zoitlin has also made the award-winning short Spirituality in the Workplace, and the film will focus mostly on today, Living While Dying. Welcome, Kathy. Thank you so much. Uh, Thank you for your film. I, what I loved about it is that uh, it's kind of, you know, I, I, I love memoir more than, more than description. Uh-huh. I felt as if you were so much a part of your film. You didn't, you didn't quite a, uh, try to keep some kind of, for want of a better word, objective eye, but I really got a sense of your story uh, as well as the story of the people that you were filming. So thank you for that. Well, it was an evolution for me to uh, make the film more personal because I actually started it, it thinking I was more of a journalist, you know, and thinking, oh, I'm just going to go look at this. Uh, yeah, I was curious, like, because I, here I am, I'm in my uh, 60s, and when I started the film, I was already in my 60s, and I thought, how is it that I could know so little about death and dying and be so old? And... um so I had this opportunity with my mother's partner to film him because um, I had expressed my curiosity to a friend of mine. We were working on uh, films mostly about interspirituality, and we had made a short film about music thanatology, which is playing music at the end of life. Mm-hmm. and. Um, and at the bedside of people who are dying. And after we made that film, we just looked at each other and thought, gee, it would be really nice to make a longer film about death and dying. And right then, you know, I get a call from my mom saying that Claire, who was her partner and he was 92 years old, had a terminal illness. And I just thought, wow, I wonder if Claire would let me film him while he's in hospice. And when I talked to Claire, he not only said yes, he said, oh, gosh, that would be great. Please bring your camera. I'm a Leo. So it was this <laughs> open-door invitation to start an exploration about death and dying. But I didn't realize that it was going to be as personal as it became. Um, that, that was just a slow evolution. And, uh, in, um, yeah, that's how it, it evolved to be well, as my story as, as I, you know, it was a five-year process of making that film. A, a quote at the beginning of the film really stood out to me. Uh, you said um, you you had kind of seen death as a dark hole of grief, grief and loss and suffering that you avoided. 
So I would say that you're somewhat unusual in deciding to turn around and look before actually uh, someone close to you died or you were otherwise um, thrown in, as it were. Um, But I I do find that's more common when people are explorers in general, which it sounds like, you know, seekers in general are, are interested in kind of uh, exploring our own reality in some sense. Do you feel that was a part of it for you? Absolutely. Um, and I think you're absolutely correct calling it um, the, the tribe is a tribe of seekers. Um, people who are uh, curious and, and also paying attention to life and then realizing like, oh, you know, life has this, um, well, we have these two trajectories that we're always, you know, either, you know, consciously or unconsciously aware of. And one is our own life, which, you know, goes birth to death. And it's kind of like a straight line in a way. And then the other is nature, which is cyclical, you know, so there's always this, you know, birth, death, rebirth, you know, like right now it's spring. And so there's that whole sense of, oh, renewal and rebirth. And there's a kind of, I guess you would say, you know, the melancholy that goes with knowing that the only, you know, the rebirth any individual has has to do with um, discovery and appreciating nature and perhaps having, you know, a connection to both ancestors and whatever comes after us, whatever, mm. what's that word? You know, yes. children, grandchildren. Yes. Um, so... Yeah, uh, the the Native it, American um, people but say I, it the was, seven me, generations. It, it really was a dark hole, and it was something I want, was willing to look at. Um, and I was lucky in the sense that out of it felt more like a calling to make this film. And so I think that there's been this awakening going on in like through death cafes and something yes. that's called a death positive movement. And although it's very grassroots, it's going on. And I unconsciously tuned into that and then uh, walked through the open doors that were presented to me while I was making the film. And, of course, that stood out so dramatically in the film. Uh, you know, you start out saying, I've, I've had very little experience with death. But then um, you 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 know, four people at least in your life in this period where you were, you had decided to explore death. Um, one got, after the other. One after the other. That are uh, getting so, terminal diagnoses. That, yeah, that was, um, that was interesting. I, I don't know what else, other word to say other than um, not only were my friends dying, but they were friends who were willing to be filmed. So it was that combination that kind of made me, again, think the film came, made itself rather than me making it. <laughs> you know, like, it, it I mean, at, so, at a certain both. point, I felt like, oh my gosh, I'm only filming people who have this um, open acceptance of, of dying, and I should... Find somebody who's um, who's more resistant, and so I did start looking for that, 
voice to be in the film, and it, I didn't find it in the time span that I was making the film. And I mean, I didn't search all that hard. I know I could have gone to a hospital or something, but because I was really filming my friends, I didn't, you know, like when I finally thought, oh, I found a woman who, you know, and she's probably going to, you know, like be that voice. She wasn't. She was another person who was facing the end of life kind of with an open eyes and um, curiosity rather than fear. I mean, I I don't think anyone could... 100% 100% escape fear, at least I don't sure. know that I can, but there's a certain uh, level of fear that we can um, face more open-heartedly that makes it, you know, still scary, but more um, comforting at the same time. I guess uh, that didn't stand out to me at all because, of course, it was such a personal film and you were filming people that are in your life who I pictured, you know, share with you that kind of investigative spirit. Yes, um, yes, and they so did. And it, it would have been a little, um, uh, what do I want to say? It would have been surprising, actually, um, if there was, if there was, you know, all four people were quite different in in ways, but they shared that, and that made sense because of who I who I thought you were. Um, I, okay, so that it did it did make sense in my life and the people who I happen to be friends with. Um, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and um, I guess that's a voice that is is very precious to me. Uh, having having been through uh, the loss of, at the time, the most important person to me, my first wife, um, the idea that that was doable, um, I only knew that watching other people go through it. Right, right. <laughs> and I, think I, I, and I couldn't know it entirely. Like this is course. for people to have the experience of watching other people go through it. It, it's just how we learn from each other in community. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I think it would be a good time, actually, to hear from one of the people in the film, your friend Avitz. Um, do you want to say anything in, in advance of us just hearing hearing from him? Well, let's just listen to his um, clip. Perfect. Now my friend Avitz is dying. Is come off the rail. This is different than Claire. Avyitz is younger than me, and he only has a few months to live. Come on, break it up a little bit. I don't understand that word, dying. I understand your diagnosis. I don't understand dying. I understand living, and I want to get damn good at it quickly. And that's how I feel about life right now. I, I'm not going to leave anything on the field. I'm going to give as much as I can be present as much as I can, experience as much joy as I can every moment, and just just do it. This is to die for. Just so gorgeous. I don't have a lot of time. Could be a few months. I don't even know what it means to be afraid of dying at this point. I'm afraid of pain. Oh, you have a wide angle here. There we go. Okay, I gotcha. I think the last one was the best. <laughs> 
It started in the esophagus, they call it esophageal cancer, but it grew way bigger in the liver. And that was the one that's going to kill me, I've been told. Oh, Kathy, I, I love that he said in the middle of that, this is to die for. <laughs> <laughs> that usually has um, a very, like, you know, a, a, people laugh. Um, in that moment, he was, um, we were together in the Japanese garden, and it was absolutely, you know, stunning and gorgeous. And um, so that's what he was referring to. This is to die for was just the beauty around the beauty. us. So, um, and he also has a great sense of humor. And one of the things that he decided to do once he, like, Pretty much immediately after he got his terminal diagnosis, he made a decision, okay, I'm going to do stand-up comedy. And it, it, it didn't come out of the blue. It had been something he'd wanted to do. And he knew, like, okay, I don't have a lot of time left. I'm going to do it now. And it turned out he had three opportunities to do his show before he died. Um, the first time he um, had been writing it, and then he ended up in the hospital, and it was kind of one of those experiences where, oh my gosh, death is very close. And so when he got out of the hospital, he just did what would be, more, instead of, I wouldn't call it so much a performance as a, one of, like a living memorial. He invited all of his friends. It was in the sanctuary of a temple, and his primary purpose that he wanted to do was give people blessings. And, but he had written this material, this comedy material, and so he read it. He hadn't memorized it yet. It wasn't, like, performance ready, but he had written comedic material. And as he says in the movie, it's not all comedy. Some of it's a little dark because he is talking about being at the end of his life. And so he did that first show and then basically had more months to live after that. And so during those more months, he did rehearsals and he incorporated live music with friends of his who are very um, excellent musicians. And so they had a much more polished show. And so by the second time he was performing, there was a polished performance and there was, uh, it was on the, Television, you know, there was press releases and um, TV coverage, and he did this professional show. And then he had an opportunity. He lived in Ashland, Oregon, and that's the home of um, the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. And so he had the opportunity to do it one more time in one of the theaters. You know, they have a night when they're closed, a Monday night, and they gave him the theater to do a show again. Mm. And his last performance, he was quite ill on the day of the show his friends were trying to get him to cancel they didn't think that he had the energy to do it he was insistent he was like I will do this so they managed to get him the right pain medication and he went on stage but under a lot of medication it became a very you know poignant experience because um you know, medication can change things, and it certainly changed comedy timing. But he, by then, he had a um, a special costume, and the costume was for. In, it looked like Superman, only instead of an S, 
it was a T, and he was Terminal Man, and so, you know, his line in the show is something about Terminal Man. He, you know, he, he is, lives in massive denial, but he wasn't living in massive denial. He was actually facing his mortality well, I I love the. By the way, I found my sense of humor during the time my wife was ill. Um, you did. So I really resonated with him a lot. I had no sense uh, of um, no workable sense of humor before that. But I loved his his death and taxes joke that those are the two things you can depend on, and he doesn't have to worry about one because he put his taxes on on. Uh, on hold, or <laughs> right, very right. funny. He, he, he got a tax extension, something like extension. that. Extension, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> time, time to go to our first break. I, I love that joke. It's great, uh, listeners. You'll find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America for liking me on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, the whole works. And to find Kathy Zoitlin, go to livingwhiledying.org. Be back soon. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Is email an important part of your business? It is for us. That's why Voice America partners with MailJet. MailJet lets us create impactful newsletters and deliver them right to the inbox fast. Microsoft, MIT, and Avis trust MailJet for their emailing, and so should you. Go to MailJet.com and use the promo code VOICEAMERICA to start emailing for free today. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Kathy Zoitlin about her film, Living While Dying, and the people she filmed who were near to death. And um, also, just to finish up with, with Av- Avietz, um it, you know, it was, it was so evident how much community had and how supportive they were um, that he he. It felt to me as if he was surrounded. I don't know if that was only when you were filming or sort of all the time, um, but it really stood out. Reflection of, of him. He was a very community-minded person. He was the person in community who opened his house um, repeatedly for community potluck dinners. So, you know, that's just his personality was a kind of a, generous personality and a 
community personality, you know, where he he engaged in community actively. So they gathered around him as he was dying and were very supportive and he had, you know, like a lot of community support. In, that very much reminded me of my wife. She was that sort of person as well. And I think it does impact. Um, I think we do better, you know, facing the end of our lives with um, love around us at the very least. I agree. And I think it's one of the things that um, I feel like we can do better, all of us in, you know, greater you know, circles of people, if we pay attention to that for each other long before the end, um, like the, you know, create loving, supportive communities for all people. And we're not quite good at that yet, but we're, we're, you know, some communities are doing that, you know, small in smaller scales, but I think we need to make that the, make that happen for more people. Yeah, I know there's, uh, I was just talking with my second wife, I get my current wife, um, yesterday about a program because she does um, uh, volunteering with our dog in hospice. And oh. she ran across, she ran across a program um, which I've heard of before in other places, but didn't know it was happening here. Um the the one I'd heard of before is called No One Dies Alone. Oh yeah, and it's yeah. and people who who volunteer to be there for people who don't have community and loved ones to be with them at the end of life. And and she was saying, God, I feel so happy that exists and so sad it's needed in a way. <laughs> right, um, same. I I echo her. I just you know feel the same. I'm so happy that exists. It's so incredible. It's such a gift because, you know, when you're giving to someone who's dying, it's, it's that ultimate generosity because when they're gone, their, their thank you isn't going to be spoken. You know, you'll, you'll yes. know it's there, but it can't be spoken. And so it's so generous, and I'm so glad that exists. Uh, I want to I circle back a little bit to to the uh, what I see as kind of one of the trigger points for you um, on contemplating death. Um, and it, it seemed to me watching the film that it was realizing that your mother was entering the period of life where she would inevitably die. Um, right that and that's absolutely um, right. I, so, as I mentioned earlier, you know, here I was thinking I'm a journalist. Two years in, I was applying for a uh, grant. And by, by then, I was um, also looking for stories because I thought I didn't have a story yet. I hadn't thought of the film as personal quite yet. And so I had this story, and I'll just tell it briefly. There's a little boy walking home, and his... Um, and he sees death coming to get his mother. And so he ambushes death on the way to his mother's home. And he takes death and he chops death in a million pieces and puts death into a little walnut shell and throws that walnut shell off into the forest. And he goes home and he says, Mom, guess what? 
you don't have to die because I got rid of death. And his mother says, oh, that's wonderful, honey. Let's celebrate and go to town and get some supplies. So he goes to town and he's at the butcher shop. And when he's at the butcher shop, the butcher says, oh, I'm so sorry. I can't kill anything. And then he says, oh, well, that's okay. I'll just go get vegetables. And he goes to, you know, the garden and he's trying to pull cauliflower out of the garden and it just won't come. He can't get anything out of the garden. And then he gets home and his mother can't light the fire. She's like in a pile of, you know, matches that, you know, she's lit match after match and there's no fire. And she says to him, you are going to go have to find death and release it and let me go. I've lived my life and it's complete now and you have to let me go. And, um, and he has to do that. And he has to go out and find the walnut shell and, and let death go so that the cycle of life and death can go on. And in the writing of the grant proposal, it was a proposal to a women in film uh, organization, so I changed the little boy to a little girl, and in that moment, I like had this big, oh my god, this movie's about me, and I don't want <laughs> yeah. my mom to die, and oh my gosh, I couldn't, like I really had this surprising wake-up call, like, oh, this is actually quite personal, and my mom at the time was 89, so I knew that, you know, she wasn't going to live much longer. Um, today she still is alive and today she's 91 Um, so but she's closer uh, as you know as anyone in their 90s would be let's let's hear can we hear from your mom and then keep talking about this I decided to put her in the film because I had been learning by then that one of the most important things we do for each other uh, is tell each other our wishes at the end of life. So I asked my mom if she would tell me her wishes for the end of life on film, and she was willing. So let's hear, let's hear her. I, I must say I really developed an attachment to your mom um, for several things she said, and we'll talk about it more after we hear the clip. Okay, yeah. I've recently changed from saying I'm getting old like I've achieved it, I'm old, and I feel it. I've got all kinds of aids. Do I have my glasses on now? No, but I've got hearing aids, I've got glasses, I've got hip replacements, I um, have a dog at home. She touches me and I've got a tear in my skin. Um, The fragileness of my body and the deterioration it's um, it's interesting to be ha- inhabiting this body and feel the deterioration. And it's very clear to me that, um, you know, I'm in this life cycle and I'm at the end of it. This is sort of what I wish for myself, Kathy, that I that I would have time to contemplate when I actually feel the approach. I, I never would have wished for that before 
I was um, before I encountered death. But right. now it's what I would wish for. You know, so many people say they'd like to die in their sleep or whatever. I I, I think that I want to know that it's coming and and have some time to contemplate as your right. mind is. And I think for me, one of the biggest lessons I got while making my film is it's always coming and it's unpredictable. And so the awareness that it's coming can infuse our lives at all times. And that's an awareness that, like I, you know, now they have uh, even an app called We Croak or something like that. And um, I, I, I read it several times a day, <laughs> as intended. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so those of us who uh, uh, occupy this uh, thought space where we are bringing awareness to the fact that uh, life is terminal, um, <laughs> do bring that awareness into everyday life in little ways all the time. Um, and I think that's what makes us, at least it makes me, I, I don't, can't speak for other people, but it makes me become the best person I know how to be because of that. You know, it's like it makes me really want to um, live my highest values because I really don't know how long life is going to be. And it could end randomly at any time. Yes. And I also, like you, wish to live a long life and into old age with the awareness that, you know, death is more imminent, you know, as one gets older. The other thing but I resonated... Sometimes it comes more imminent through sickness or sometimes it comes out of the blue and you can't contemplate it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Having experienced... Both of those with my parents, uh, my right. dad di- dying suddenly and my mother dying uh, after a nine-month illness. Um, there are differences for sure in those yeah. experiences, and of course, I don't know how much I was impacted by ha- impacted by having already experienced my first wife's death. You know, it right. it, it can't be differentiated; it can't be pulled apart. But um, I know uh, my dad's sudden death felt very different uh, from from the ones that have had a long lead time where there was a lot of exploration in the process. Because right. I agree, we can be aware all the time. For, for the listeners, We Croak is a little app you can put on your phone that five times a day sends you a quote um, related to death, but some of them are um, more related to living in some sense. But um, right. wonder, a wonderful little app. Um, go get it. It's, it's great. <laughs> um, so, you know, I do think there's something that seems to happen for a lot of people when they know they're actually dying that's a little bit different. Would you agree with that? I think so. I think that there's a, like an, a heightened awareness of everything that comes in that territory, you know, just a, it's, it's like sacred time. And, um, and really um, very precious because a lot of uh, pretense can fall away and people can be just, you know, 100% authentic with, you know, in a loving way. The other thing that occurs to me too is that if you know you're dying quite soon, 
um, certain practical aspects of life uh, often get literally slept, swept away. Um, like planning for a year from now financially or, you know, all these things that do occupy, most people stop working at that point. You know, uh, uh, the things that occupy us do step aside to an extent. And and I feel that might be a factor also, just the time, you know, or the lack of distraction, you know, the focus. A different way of living and, you know, and as... It's probably simultaneously a slowing down and speeding up. It's, you know, kind of like time, time probably just has such a different, uh, it, the, our experience of time is different and changed. It, it does appear that way with lots of people. And of course, yeah. I've, no, I've known people who, uh, I'm thinking of a client I had who um, was looking for treatments to try the morning of the day she died. <laughs> You know, so I'm pretty sure she was not contemplating death very much. Um, that and was some people will not ever want to get to that place of contemplating. I mean, really, some people prefer just to keep looking for the alternatives. And that's just like that's who they are and their style of living while dying. Um, it's just different for a lot of, you know, it's, it's as different as people are different, you know. There's absolutely the general sameness, and then there's the uniqueness of every individual. Absolutely, and and I and I like to emphasize that there's no right way to do it, but I do um, find it so so valuable to hear from people who are who are thinking about it, who are there facing their deaths. And thinking about it, that helps me as as a person who will one day face that. And I, it helps me as well. Um, I think that it, um, that's the kind of people we are. <laughs> we're <laughs> we're, we're a, a, a particular set, huh? <laughs> but you know, it's, oh, I, it's, it, it, and it's um, it's part of changing the culture. To be have that willingness, and it's an old-fashioned cult. It's the old-fashioned way. It's not new. It's actually what used to be. What's new is that we have so many medical miracles that has kind of allowed us to fool ourselves into thinking we might, you know, always find yet another cure. And sometimes we do. So that's what becomes tricky territory to navigate yes how how much is enough for any given person when right when do and i i also the my other prayer for the end of my life is that i will know uh you know when enough is enough that i won't what a lovely um, prayer yes what a beautiful <laughs> prayer to know that yeah 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 time for our second break already uh, so we'll we'll talk more about that when we get back. And and listeners, you know, you can go to my website, weatherandgrief.com. You can go to the Good Grief host page. And to find Kathy Zoitlin, you can go to livingwhiledying.org. Back soon. 
The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Is email an important part of your business? It is for us. That's why Voice America partners with MailJet. MailJet lets us create impactful newsletters and deliver them right to the inbox fast. Microsoft, MIT, and Avis trust MailJet for their emailing, and so should you. Go to MailJet.com and use the promo code VOICEAMERICA to start emailing for free today. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back to Good Grief. I'm here with Kathy Zoitlin talking about her film Living While Dying and uh, this sense of commonality between us, Kathy, that we are people who would rather think about it in advance and who enjoy, um, that's an odd word to use, but it's true, enjoy hearing other people's experiences who are also thinking about it, either because it's happening with them or, or because someone close to them uh, has, has died. But I wonder what you would say, I mean, it seems to me by the end of the film, you were in a very different place than you described at the beginning of the film. But I wondered if you could talk more about how it affected your sense of of um, living and dying to make the film? It absolutely woke me up to the preciousness of every day in a new uh, way. Um, I knew about that, and I do continue to have to remind myself almost every day that life is precious, but now I have that much higher in my um, conscious mind. I, you know, it's like one of those things that one learns, like, oh, life is precious. Um, and it's almost like one has to relearn it um, several times a day, perhaps, because we get so caught up in <laughs> that's That's why re-croak comes to us five times a day, right? <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. it's a continual relearning. So that was, you know, the biggest 
change for me is that ha- having the awareness is um, useful for how to live. And the other big change is that making plans and letting people know and when I say people, letting my family know what my wishes are for my end of life is an act of love. And I didn't know that before. But now I do know that having my husband, having my children, having uh, my friends all know what my wishes are at the end of life will give them comfort when the end of my life comes. And that was news to me. Um, while I made the film, but now I know it. Mm. That, that's interesting because I'm thinking back to, I'm thinking about how conversations about dying and what my wife's wishes were, what my parents' wishes were, those actually stay with me. I refer to them sometimes. And I am I am remarkably grateful for having no doubt that what happened was what they would have wanted. See, that's, that's a, such a relief. That it's is such a, comfort, a relief. Right? And, and we're not always in control. We can't make life be something it isn't. But to the extent that we can, you know, honor our, our beloved's wishes, knowing what those wishes are makes a huge difference. And what I have seen... Um, and one could see easily in the film called Extremis is that some people will hit um, the end of life without e- ever knowing what their partner's wishes are, and they're trying to guess while they're in a crisis in an emergency room. And that, you know, it's like that's so easily avoided if we have these conversations in advance. I I just um, renewed, you know, kind of updated mine, and I used five wishes this time, which is a lot more, um, maybe a lot more psychological. Um, It it includes all the things that we're talking about. Do you want to be kept alive, extreme measures or not, and all of that. But um, it also asks questions like, what do you want around you? Um, you know, what came up for me in that, in that was music. I want music, you know, lots of music. (laughs) Um, so it can, we can really, I think there's something about picturing your own death and imagining what you think you'd like that experience to, to be like, that's very lively in my, in my, um, it's been very lively for me, um, just imagining that picture. Right, right. Um, I think that who your current uh, wife and uh, friends are going to be grateful to you <laughs> for the fact that you took the time to look at five, the five wishes and to answer them. And the other thing that I thought was really important for me to learn was that once I wrote down my wishes, they were not in concrete, that I could keep changing them. Because initially, when I looked at the question of, do I want a feeding tube or not, I just kind of went, no, I absolutely don't. And then I had a friend go through a medical uh, experience where she had a temporary feeding tube, and it was just there for, whatever, a few days. And then it was gone, and I, suddenly I had like, oh, wait a minute. I actually wouldn't mind a feeding tube for a few days. That would be fine with <laughs> sure. me if I come out the other end and I have more life at the end of that. 
So I, you know, could write, you know, I could change what my wishes were. And I think it's important to know that this is, you know, one's wishes for how the end might look will evolve as, as, as you live. Absolutely. Um, and, and the other thing is one wish might, might contradict another a little bit. For instance, we've both said we want a long time to right. kind of grapple, but it could be that we would need a feeding tube to get that time. Right. <laughs> you know, um, so exactly. Uh, and would it, we it's want a, it's a very that for a long thing. time or not? You know, those are the questions that you know. It's it's important to think think about in advance, and then um, and then not just think about it and not just write down your own answers, but actually share those answers with the people who are who you're close with. Absolutely. The other surprising thing that came up for me in that process of reimagining recently was uh, not wanting to be unplugged, as it were, in that extreme situation until my kids had had time to get there. Beautiful. (laughs) Yeah. Suddenly that just occurred to me, wait, they they might want to get there, you know. Right. So they really I think might. It's a very nuanced Absolutely. process we're talking about, isn't it? And then so, you let them know and they'll feel comforted by like we're gonna get that time. Exactly. Exactly. No one needs to worry about it. <laughs> right. Like so there'll be plenty is- to worry about. And there's you know, this is a show called Good Grief and there's not a way around grief. That's a given but we have that's to I think, sure. say it that that's a that's given for sure. you know we do grieve for each other when we love each other that's just um part of life absolutely you won't you certainly won't get any argument from me about that i know i know i know <laughs> i mean show. i know that and the sure. other half is how engaging with our grief does lead to things and um you know I guess I would say you were grieving the fact of death when you started out, um, which is is a certainly a thing to grieve that we die. No, right, right. So I I want to get around to this final clip we have waiting, which is um, the woman in is she in Australia? Uh, Zenith. Yes. yes. Uh, Zenith. And, can you talk a little bit about who she is and, and how you came to um, be with her? So I went to Australia for a house exchange, and it was just something I was doing with a friend. But it was while it was early on in the making of my film, and so I and I so I was still in the mindset that I might be doing something on interspirituality, and I was looking for teachers, and I found um, an Aboriginal elder in Australia who uh, gave me really some very beautiful lessons about Aboriginal um, wisdom, facing the end of life, and um, having a basically a, a very spiritual approach to communicating with people after they died. And while I was looking for um, Uncle Bob, uh, people said, well, if you're interested in the end of life, you really must go talk to Zenith. And Zenith calls herself a death walker, and um, 
she, we probably in the States would say death doula or death midwife. Um, She walks people toward death um, openly and courageously. She accompanies them on their death journey. And when I say them, it can be a person who's dying, but it can also be the whole family or the family and their community. She has, she offers guidance. Um, she empowers people to be open and courageous. Um, so she has this um, amazing uh, life experience because of doing that <coughs> service. Um, in, in addition to being a death walker, she happens to be in her community a person who you know, is called a celebrant, and she's a celebrant at both weddings and funerals. Um, when you walk through town with Venice, you know, everybody knows her either from a wedding or a funeral, and, you know, so it's very interesting to, you know, like be in town with Venice, you know, and everybody's mm. talking to her about <laughs> one or the other. Um, <laughs> right. Anyway, uh, it was early on for me when I was making the film, and I was still uh, quite um, new to even talking about death and dying, and so she was a wonderful teacher for me. Um, And um, I think, well, let's play the clip that she... Yes, let's. Let's do that. The randomness of death and the accidentalness of it, it's coming for you. And it doesn't matter whether you're old or young. I really have to live fully because I don't know when my death will come. It's certain, but the time is uncertain. Some people will die in fear. Some people will die without fear. But the next step on that progression is to die with grace. And when you share the journey of someone dying with grace, it gives you the realization that that's the only way to go when someone sets you that example. I love that expression, Kathy, dying with grace. I've, I've experienced that a few times in my life, being with someone when they're dying and, and them dying with grace. I know exactly what she's talking about, but I, I love the words, dying with grace. She um, was talking to me and she uh, opened her arms as if they, you know, were wings. And she said, it's like, you know, you kind of walk with people with, you know, with you open arms, open wings. And it has, you know, it just was such a beautiful way of saying dying with grace. Um, Yeah. She's an amazing person because she's incredibly courageous and I think her courage comes from, you know, the experiences that she's, you know, where she's chosen to be a death walker. She swims miles in the ocean every day um, among, you know, dangers that um, exist, you know, like animals that could, could eat her. And, um, and she just does it bravely. There's a whole film called... Um, Oh, God, it's about her, Zen and the Art of Dying. So people could look that up. It's um, a beautiful film. 
uh, and she, and she does she does strike me having watched her in your film as as an artist. There's a there's a sort of a creative edge to her. I I don't know how else to to describe it, but um, definitely an alchemic alchemical quality to her. Right, and um, offers teachings around the world. I think at this point, and I I know she's traveled to the states and been a teacher here and I have a feeling she's probably traveled to Europe as well but her base is still in Australia mm-hmm. um, we're, we're getting near the end of our time together which seems fast <laughs> but um, I think she's a great a great place to end because that idea that we can in encountering death uh, come to a sense of grace about it that hopefully impacts our own deaths and um, impacts the people around us as well. I hope, I hope for that for both of us. As do I, and um, I'll just repeat the line that from my narration of the film, which is that I do want to die with grace, but right now I'm more focused on living with grace. <laughs> I think maybe one comes from the other, do you? <laughs> Absolutely. They feel yeah. so connected. So connected. Thanks so much for being with me today, Kathy. I've really enjoyed our talk. Thank you for inviting me and for this conversation. Absolutely. And you can find Kathy Zeitlin at livingwhiledying.org. Next week, I'll have Laura Davis, an author whose book, I Thought We'd Never Speak Again, explores estrangement and reconciliation. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.